Well, this morning uh, is the last of our two-part series that we were doing uh, called uh, Gratitude and Generosity. And I wanted to just share with you one verse of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Two men went on a fishing trip, and while they were out, a storm came up, and it blew their boat way off course and eventually sank the boat. But they had a life raft, and so they were sitting in the life raft. And one of the men looked at the other, and he said, you know, we're going to die out here. And the other guy said, no, we, we won't. We're okay. They'll, they'll rescue us. And he said, no, the, the storm blew us way off course. It's going to be a long time before they realize we're missing. And by the time they realize that, they're going to look in the wrong place. By the time they find us, we're, we're going to be dead. And the other guy said, no, that, that, listen, I'm a very wealthy man. They're going to rescue us. And he said, you know, your money doesn't mean a thing out here. You're going to die just like, just like me. There's, there's nobody going to find us. We're, we're going to die. And the guy said, well, let me explain this to you. I'm a multimillionaire. And every Sunday morning, I go to church. And every Sunday morning, I give 10% of whatever I made that week to my church. My pastor will find me. Now, there are a lot of benefits to being generous. Uh, that's just one of them. Um, you know, so, so live courageously. I will find you. Uh, unless Pastor Pam finds you first. Because, uh, so there's actually a lot of good things that uh, come from generosity, and yet generosity is the virtue that nobody wants. I, I have had people come to me and say, you know, Pastor, I wish I were more loving. I just, I just don't love the way I want to and the way I ought to. I wish God would make me more loving. And I've had people come to me and say, you know, I wish God would, make, would help me to be more forgiving. I, sometimes I hold a grudge and I, I just don't forgive people the way I, I should. I wish I was more forgiving. And, and sometimes people come and they say, you know, I wish, I wish I extended kindness more. I, I'm, not, I'm not always observant of other people and I just wish God would help me to be you know, to, to extend kindness more than I do. But in all my years of a pastor, no one has ever came to me and said, I wish God would make me more generous. <laughs> because when it comes to loving and showing mercy, we got a ways to go. But when it comes to generosity, we're just fine, thank you. We're doing good. So um, this morning, we're going to talk about generosity, but don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to make you feel guilty because I don't believe in that, so you can relax. But I do just want to encourage those of you who practice generosity in your life. And by generosity, I mean not only in financial giving, but generosity in the way you accept people, generosity in the way you reach out to people. Um, there's some real benefits to that. And um, so I want to mention some of them, three of them, this morning. The first one is this. Giving reflects the image of God in my life. Uh, this very familiar verse of Scripture, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. 
God gave. And God is generous. God is a giver. And the story of the Bible is about God giving to us. And to begin with, God gave each of us life. And that was a gift that came from God to us. And God has also given us everything that we have. And I've said that before, and you know, I get pushback sometimes. Because somebody will say, you know, God hasn't given me everything I have because I've worked very hard for what I have. But I I just, you know, first of all, I I commend you for working hard and for having ambition and for doing things and improving your skills. But who gave you the ability to work hard? Who gave you the health to be able to work hard? Who gave you the intellect to do what you're able to do? And everything that you and I accomplish we accomplish with abilities that we may have honed and we may have worked hard on and we may have given everything to improve. But the truth is, those abilities were freely given to us by God. And they are not abilities that everybody else has. It's a gift. And so the goal of our lives as followers of Jesus is to help people see the image of God in our life. I mean, our goal is to reflect the character of God. Well, God is generous. God is a giver. And one of the primary reasons I know this is because God loves us. And God has demonstrated his love toward us. And through the years, one of the things I've learned is you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Because love always leads us to be generous toward those that we love. And so when I'm generous... I'm acting more like God because God is generous. The second thing is that giving draws me closer to God. This verse is from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, I remember years ago when I first read that, that seemed counterintuitive to me. It seemed like you would put your treasure where your heart is. But Jesus said your heart will go where your treasure is. Now, I I grew up in uh, Alabama. And when you grow up in Alabama, you have to decide and make a decision whether or not you're going to be an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan, and it is required of you to decide before you're 16 because it goes on your driver's license. (laughs) Now, even though I went to Samford University, I have always been an Auburn fan, and so that's, that's who I root for. And then my oldest daughter decided to go to the University of Georgia. And then my next daughter went to the University of Central Florida. And then my next daughter went to the University of Florida. And it was hard. But I learned to pull for their schools, unless they're playing Auburn. I had a change of heart. And one reason is because I sent a lot of my monetary treasure to those schools. (laughs) I am heavily invested in those schools. 
And so I want to see them do well since I put that much treasure into them. But you know, the other part, the greatest treasure I sent there were my daughters. And since those schools are important to them, then they're important to me. Because where your treasure is, your heart follows. And so that changed my heart. And when we're generous with our treasure toward God, our heart follows. Giving to the things of God draws me closer to God. And then the third thing is that giving is the antidote to materialism. Look at these verses in 1 Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, we live in a culture that teaches us to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. We live in a culture that teaches us that our net worth uh, and our self-worth are the same thing. But we live in a culture that lies to us. And it's, it's just so easy to get caught up in materialism and consumerism no matter how many times it disappoints us. Your worth is not determined by your bank account. Your worth is not determined by how much you can give. Your worth is settled because God loves you. And that gives you all the value and worth that everybody else has. You are created in the image of God. And you are loved by God. When my daughters were children, they had dolls. And some of them were like expensive Christmas presents that we gave them. And some of them were dolls that they found at yard sales and brought home. And one of my daughters in particular was attached to a doll that she would gotten at a yard sale. And it was worn and ugly and it didn't, you know, it wasn't like any of those expensive dolls we bought her that, you know, cried and burped and did cartwheels and all that stuff. But she loved it. She loved it. It was her favorite toy. And monetarily, I mean, it was practically worthless. But because she loved it, it became the most valuable toy that she had. Her love made it priceless. You are valuable because God loves you and you're priceless. None of that other stuff matters. Well, so we find our self-worth, we find our confidence because we are the beloved of God. And you know, every time I give, it strikes a blow against the hold that materialism and consumerism has on me. Every week or two weeks or month, you know, when we write out the check or have the money withdrawn from our account, we win a victory over materialism. It can be fun because every time you give, you can say, money, you don't own me. I own you. I can keep you or I can give you away. I'm in charge, not you. The Bible says you can't have two masters. can't serve God and money. And so every time you give, you demonstrate that God is your master. 
Now, I know that nobody likes to come to church and hear sermons about giving money. And I'm aware that's the reason a lot of people don't go to church. But at St. Paul, we don't talk about this much, but the fact is that to maintain ministries and start new ones requires resources. And you know, it used to bother me as a pastor. I used to apologize. I used to say, okay, this morning we're going to talk about money. I'm sorry. And I used to apologize. But then another pastor was saying he did the same thing. He used to apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'm talking about this. But, and he said one day he, apolo- he apologized to his congregation. And then that week he got a letter from a member in his church. And he shared that letter. And I want to share it with you because it's a good one. This is the letter. My son Lance was born before it became acceptable for the father to be present in the delivery room, a fact for which I have always been grateful. I waited in the hallway just outside the delivery room. At precisely 4.13 p.m., I heard the unmistakable cry of a newborn baby. Lance's first sound. And the nurse emerged with a smile and she said, you have a baby boy. Only a new father can know the wonder of those words. The wonderful glow of fatherhood was soon dimmed, however, when I was asked to visit the business office of the hospital. They wanted me to pay for Lance. In fact, it seemed to me that my child might be held hostage until the hospital bill was settled. So I wrote the check, paying all the expenses in full, freed my family, and we made our escape. That check turned out to be only the first of hundreds, maybe thousands, that we would have to write on Lance's behalf. Children are expensive. There's formula, food to buy. Doctors' visits and vaccinations assaulted my banking account. Diapers and toys took their toll. And clothes were a constant drain. Just when he would get a good wardrobe, he would outgrow it and we'd have to start all over again. And as Lance's age and size increased, so did the expenses. Soon it was baseball gloves and Nike shoes and uniforms. And then he needed glasses for his eyes and braces for his teeth. And then disaster struck. Lance became a teenager. And now it was cars and uh, electronic gadgets and cool clothes. And then came college. And Lance had always and only wanted to be an architect. To me, it seemed he would be in school till he was 42 years old. Expenses soared. Tuition, books, drawing tools led the long list of essential expenditures. But like loving fathers everywhere, I was happy to be able to help him. I did all I could to support his growth and his dreams. I never thought of these expenses as sacrifice. I was his dad, and I was prepared to give everything possible toward his life and dreams. And then one day, Lance died. And on a bright, beautiful, horrible Halloween day, 21-year-old Lance was buried in his church's little country cemetery. And that afternoon, I walked away from his grave, And since that day, I have never spent another nickel on Lance. That's how I learned it. Death is cheap. Death can be sustained without expense. It's living that's costly. It's growth that's expensive. 
And our dreams and visions and hopes require resources. Death doesn't. That's why I'm glad my church needs money. Because a living, growing, thriving church will always require the continual, consistent, and conscientious financial support of its members. And that's the church I want to belong to. That's why I will always belong to a church that needs money. I got to tell you, after reading that letter, I have never thought about my giving to the church in the same way. All of us, we could be a part of a church that does nothing, and it would cost us little. But this church made a hard decision to sell a beloved place in order to be able to do ministry in the community, in order to grow and be alive. We could just keep our ministries at a minimum, and we could underfund our budget and live off that money in the bank for a decade or so. I mean, many of us will be retired or gone by then. And that would require little of us. But St. Paul has never been that kind of a church. And you're not that kind of a church. I mean, you chose to be a part of a church that makes a difference in the community. You want to be a part of a church that will touch the lives of families, that will touch the lives of children and students and young adults and adults and senior adults. I mean, that's why we're here. We don't talk about money that much here, but sometimes we need to because we want to make a difference in our community and we want to see people's lives changed by God's love. So this is the last Sunday for a long time that I'm ever going to mention money. So everybody's free to come back. It'll be good. But I talk about it today because I want you to know we are not moving toward decline. We are not moving toward death. That's cheap. But we're moving toward growth. And we're moving toward life. And that takes resources. And I don't know about you, but I have decided that I always want to be a part of a church that needs money.